This is 128 Bits, a podcast about the most influential period of video games, what is known as the sixth generation, the Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube, and Xbox era. On every episode, we will discuss one standout title from the generation and talk about its greatness, including its critical reception at the time, our favorite and least favorite things, its legacy, and what it would look like today. I'm your host, Rodrigo Nunez, and today it's just me and Joseph. Uh, and we're going to talk about a game that almost made the GameCube cool. It put up a good fight anyway. I'm talking, of course, <laughs> about Beautiful Joe. So how are you, Joe? I'm doing pretty well. Is it true that you were named after this game, even though it was released when you were already a teenager? <laughs> Actually, the game, yeah, it uh, foretold my coming. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you do you remember? Because um, I got this game at launch. Do you do you remember getting it also? Yeah, I got it at too. I was uh, reading about the pre-orders and all the hype behind it. Mm. Um, I don't remember pre-ordering it because. But I also don't think pre-orders were as big a thing then. I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't think I got the bonus or whatever it was. Yeah, I do know that I got it. If not at launch, we're definitely close to it because I, I was super hyped for this game. Yeah, this I was very, very hyped for this game as well. Um, and we'll get into a little bit as to why. Um, but let's get into the background of the game. So because <laughs> nothing else is on the game. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Uh, uh, but there was more too. <laughs> yeah, it's it was supposed to be like this great savior it was one of five great saviors that were going to rescue the gamecube from obscurity but um yeah let's we'll, we'll get there yeah. in the story of this thing so beautiful joe is a 2d side-scrolling beat-em-up developed and published by capcom and released on the gamecube in north america on october 7th 2003 it was one of the notorious group of games known as the capcom 5 which were five supposedly GameCube exclusives that Capcom was going to release in hopes of GameCube sales rising. Of the five games, huh? I, if I knew about this, I didn't. I wasn't aware about it until I was reading in in the uh, in my research. Really, I was super aware of this. Like really? this, this was the the big um, argument fodder on the game on the gaming forums back in the day. It's just like, just wait for the Capcom 5, man. <laughs> just wait. Everything's going to be fine after that. See, I remember knowing about all these games because I was I was plugged in. I guess I just wasn't as plugged in as, as you and a lot of other people because I didn't know about... I didn't know like that they were sort of referred to as that or yeah. that it was a thing, really. I was just like, oh, Capcom's coming out with a lot of cool games. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, this was like... I don't I couldn't find any details as to exactly how this deal was promised or whatever but it was just kind of seen as Capcom is betting on the GameCube. Capcom is going to is going to is going to resuscitate the GameCube because at this point in 2003 it was it was not looking up like people thought oh the GameCube started off slow but it'll catch up. You know it's Nintendo, the Nintendo 64 did really well or whatever and the PS2 sales just kept increasing and the GameCube just <laughs> was not catching up. So yeah, it was like Capcom is going to come and swoop in and bring these five killer games that are going to revitalize this thing. And, and now we're going to have a real fight on our hands. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a, at least on the on the old school Penny Arcade games and technology <laughs> forums. It was a big deal, which is where I would spend most of my time. Uh, but of the five games that were promised, only four would end up being released. Um, those would be PN03. Did you play that one, Joe? No, but I remember just visually. I actually own all of the Capcom 4 <laughs> <laughs> on the GameCube. So it was Piano 3, uh, or product number 3, Killer 7, that. Resident Evil 4, and Beautiful Joe. Uh, so those four were released, and Phoenix Rising was the one that, was, that would end up being canceled. Um, the thing about the... Capcom 5 is that only one of them, the worst one, arguably, or actually, <laughs> remained a GameCube exclusive. <laughs> All the other ones were also released on the PS2 at a later date. Um, so, yeah, the Capcom 5 ended up being not really anything special. <laughs> like, they didn't really make the splash that that Nintendo or Capcom expected. And as such, they did not remain GameCube exclusives. Um but for our conversation, we're going to consider Beautiful Joe as a GameCube game primarily because I, I think that's what we both owned it on, right, Joe? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Is I, Phoenix Rising the game that came out like the end of... It was, I think it was just this year, recently. I don't think so. I don't think it ever came out. I wonder if it got retooled. There, no, this this one is by Ubisoft. Yeah, it's, it's like this generation, and it uh, looks similar to the description that I read. Hmm. 
We can move on though. That's yeah. not this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but it was like kind of like Kid Icarus 3D or something like that. Yeah, uh, see, that's what this new one, Immortals Phoenix Rising, but not spelled Phoenix like the city, spelled Phoenix F E. Maybe it was maybe it was some of the same people. I wonder if they converted it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So Beautiful Joe's development started in 2002, and the game was directed by Hideki Kamiya, who had been in Capcom for a while now. He worked on the original Resident Evil back in 1996 as a planner, and he served as director for Resident Evil 2 in 1998. He was also tasked by uh, Resident Evil and Capcom bigwig Shinji. Uh, Mikami to start developing to start development on Resident Evil 4 but Kamiya took the game in such a different direction that Mikami instead suggested they turn that game that Kamiya had started off as Resident Evil 4 into a separate game slash franchise and Devil May Cry was born uh, yeah so this guy like they're like hey go work on the new Resident Evil and he like just so, went so far to another <laughs> side that they were just like uh, just make this is another game. This is not Resident <laughs> Evil. <laughs> but I mean, it would have been really cool to see like Leon or someone doing all the stuff that Dante is doing. Um, but definitely not the same tone yeah, at all. Not at all. So he, Camilla created Devil May Cry, but never worked on another Devil May Cry, much to his dismay. Instead, Camilla was pulled into what was conceived as an internal, quote, staff focused project, where they paired him with producer Atsushi Inaba of Steel Battalion fame, which is another great game of this generation that I still have not played. Uh, do you remember Steel Battalion? Joe? It was the one that had like the huge controller. That's the one with the mech. We need to get one of those. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know how much they would cost right now, but... We need to pull our money and then just <laughs> mail it back and forth between the two of us. Because, yeah, that's been a dream of mine. This forever too yeah it was like a huge controller that covered a whole desk it had like two joysticks it had a pedal board with three pedals yeah. it was just yeah. it looked insane but um yeah i don't they, know anybody that ever played it as far as i know it may not even exist <laughs> yeah they only made two of them <laughs> yeah. and these two guys have them uh, <laughs> but yeah this they pulled kamiya and atsushi inaba from steel battalion into a team and um the whole focus of the project was increasing the directorial skills of Kamiya and the producing skills of Inaba. Um, you get the feeling that Kamiya was kind of seen as a problem child or something like that, uh, but maybe I'm just projecting. And the reason why I say that is because, so he made Devil May Cry, and then while he was on, like they pulled him into this other project to make him a better director, Capcom went and made a franchise out of Devil May Cry. Yeah. And he was like super butthurt about it. He's just like, I found an interview where he's talking about like, um, he's comparing seeing Devil May Cry 2 happen without him as seeing your girlfriend kiss another guy or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, he was he was pretty upset about it. Oh um, man. Um, originally, Beautiful Joe had a 12-month deadline and a team of six people working on it. Eventually, though, it would end up taking 21 months to complete and the team would grow, but I couldn't exactly find how many people ended up working on it, but safe to say it was more than six people. Um, what Team Beautiful, as they ended up calling themselves, created and would later go on to form the basis of Clover Studios um, was a very cool, highly stylized 2D cell-shaded beat-em-up that featured the titular Joe in an Ultraman-like getup in a world heavily inspired by 1970s tokusatsu, which are live-action shows featuring special effects like Ultraman or Kamen Rider and American comic books. Joe advances through the game by beating up every character on the screen. He has basic punches and kicks, but can also dodge enemies' attacks, which result in the enemy being stunned for a bit. But in addition to the basic attacks, Joe has access to three special types of attacks called VFX or virtual effects. The first one is slow, which is a slow-mo, which gives Joe attacks more power and also allow for better dodging of attacks. The other effect is called the mock speed, which created a Windows mouse trail of Joe's, you know, when the computer is freezing and you can see all the windows <laughs> at once. Uh, but yeah, when you have mock speed, it makes it so you can have more attacks and then zoom in. Um, which is a zoom in, like a camera zoom in that just gives Joe more power than usual. And you can combine any of these two. And the aim of the entirety of Beautiful Joe is to have combos, to always be in motion. The higher your combos link up, the higher your score will be. And you get beautifuls 
or you get more beautifuls, which then allows the player to unlock more abilities, more weapons, more stuff, which makes the game easier. If it sounds like a lot, it's because it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I mean, it's simple in that, like, it's just the beat em up. Just beat up the person on the screen and go to the other side of the screen. Yeah. But it's just, you can link and combo and chain things and... If the enemies are shooting projectiles at you, you can shoot, you can like hit them back at them. You can launch enemies and they turn into projectiles that affect <laughs> everyone else. And it's just really, really cool. And yeah. the whole uh, game has like this ranking system, which depending how good you do, you get like a D, C, B, A, or V, beautiful, if you did really good. And that's when you get the most, most points. Um, you can see a lot of Devil May Cry in this game, but this is kind of ratcheted up and everything can be chain linked. It's another one of those games that unless you achieve that flow state of achieving high combos, it's not really good. Like it's extra rewarding when you can get into that flow state and just like have a huge link of combos. But it's also a pretty difficult game, um, which is one of the big frustrating things about it. Like it's a short game, it something like four to five hours to beat if you're good at it. But if you were like me, it took you like, 12 hours to beat or something like that. Um, the plot of the game itself is pretty funny, though, so I kind of want to talk about it here. At the beginning, Joe and his girlfriend, Sylvia, are in a movie theater on Earth watching a tokuzatsu drama starring the age superhero Captain Blue. The movie's antagonist, having seemingly defeated Captain Blue, suddenly reaches out to the screen and abducts Sylvia, taking her into movie land. Joe is then picked up and taken into movie land by Captain Blue's giant mecha, Six Majin. Inside the movie, Joe has to rescue Silva, Sylvia from the evil Jado, the game's organization of villains. To help him, Captain Blue entrusts him with a V-Watch, a device that Joe can use to transform into a superhero when he says the word transform or henshin. Joe transforms himself using his own little twist on the catchphrase. Instead of just saying henshin, he says henshin a go-go, baby, and he becomes beautiful Joe. Um, there's something really funny uh, that was just something really personal to to joseph and i but i don't know if you thought about this joe but at the beginning of the movie um sylvia is like very obviously drawn more attractively than joe is and sylvia's trying to kiss joe and joe's like stop it leave me alone tell me that didn't remind you of one of our mutual friends who seemed to have <laughs> <laughs> a specific <laughs> moment <laughs> yeah, a specific moment in our history when we had a friend who had a very pretty girlfriend and she came over to him and asked him to take a walk with her. And he said, go away. I'm with my friends or something like that. Uh, that guy. Yeah, I, maybe he set the tone for his uh, his romantic life going forward. He definitely has a, an interesting history. Yeah, there you go. Maybe he was the beautiful Joe. Um, but anyway, once... Uh, Joe transforms by saying Henshin a go-go baby. He has to go through seven levels of episodes facing a boss at the end of each one, including an iron ogre and even like a doppelganger dark clone of beautiful Joe. Um, but it turns out the evil guys are trying to break out from movie land into the real world and need Sylvia's blood to do so because Sylvia is the daughter of the creator of the movie they're watching, which is in fact Captain Blue. But it turns out it's actually Captain Blue that's behind it all. So what a <laughs> twist. Um, I feel like Kamiya was essentially unleashed and was trying to be refined after what he tried to do with the Resident Evil franchise resulted in Devil May Cry. And so this game was just kind of, look, whatever you want to do over here, explore it here and we'll get a game out of it. But like, you don't have to be tied to Resident Evil. I feel like this was like Capcom trying to nurture or at least, I don't know, control or do something with Kamiya. Um, but what resulted was a fantastically joyful, totally original and unlike anything out there in terms of genre. I mean, I always think of this generation as the one that didn't have any good beat-em-ups after the bouncer tanked early on in the generation. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that one. It was uh, by Squaresoft. I did it until just right now. I completely <laughs> forgot of its existence until just right now. Yeah, so beat-em-ups were like a huge deal in, in past generations. But then they got here, and like the bouncer was one of the first games that was released for the PS2, and it was just bad. And very few beat-em-ups <laughs> tried to after that. But Beautiful Joe was a beat-em-up, and it was really, really good. Um, and maybe most importantly, this was 
also a huge win for the GameCube, temporarily, because Beautiful Joe would go on to release for the PS2 in 2004, so it did not end up an exclusive, as we alluded to earlier, which is a big deal. So many games mixed into one. Like, as I was watching my playthrough, I was like, this is a platformer, too. Like, I didn't realize it, I guess, because it's 2D, but the way it's presented at the time, like, it being a beat-em-up platformer, having all their things into it it's it's crazy for sure how much how deep this game goes and how much stuff can be on screen yeah and it's 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 crazy too because you look back on it and the big deal is like this is one of the few games that i think would benefit from a widescreen view yeah Uh, because the four three aspect ratio makes it so that like joe takes up almost a third of the screen right and so he's like really closed in and then the top menu with the VFX and all that is mm-hmm. is also like a substantial chunk of the screen. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot in here. There's platforming, like you said, there's combat, there's time shifting elements. There's, it's just, it's just a really dense, really well put out, really, really well put together game. And just above all, it's just totally original because we yeah. had nothing like it before. Um and super fun. Like, it's difficult. It, it was one of the first super difficult games, maybe in this generation that I played for sure. Hmm. But it, I still don't have any, like, ill will towards it. <laughs> it was always just a fun experience. Yeah, it wasn't cheap in its difficulty. It wasn't like all of a sudden your control stuff's working or something like that. Because yeah. the controls were really tight. So you had no one to blame but yourself <laughs> when you screw things up, <laughs> which I did frequently. Um, yep. Getting to the critical reception of the game, Beautiful Joe was very well received, having a 93 uh, Metacritic score out of 52 reviews, which ties it for seventh best reviewed GameCube game with Soul Calibur 2. So yeah, really, really well reviewed. Um, Nintendo Power gave it a perfect score and said, quote, brilliantly innovative and packed with action. VJ may seem bizarre at first glance, but if you give it a chance, you will be amazed and delighted. The graphics are wild, the action is varied and fun, and the game even has a sense of humor. End quote. Um, it, it's funny that they put even has a sense of humor at the end because it's just like, it hits you with it right away. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, it even has a sense of It's just like, no, it has a sense of humor and everything else is uh, built around it the way I see it. Yeah. Um, ForFatChicks.com, also known as Tap Repeatedly, which is a a favorite of this podcast, um, gave it a perfect score as well and highlighted the difficulty by saying, quote, if you can overlook the annoying aspect of having to start over and only being able to save at the beginnings of a new episode or when you quit the game, you will experience an amazingly hard but also wonderfully fun game, end quote. Is Tap Repeatedly around? Yeah, it is. I don't know if it's, it it hasn't been updated recently. Okay, I was going to say, maybe uh, that's why we haven't had an update from Four Fat Chicks on some of these (laughs) games. Some of the newer stuff, because some of these new difficult games like Demon's Souls just made them quit. (laughs) Maybe, but I mean, I do, they're still active, but they're they're not updating stuff. But I, I think they bring up a good point here. And I remember this kind of being a discussion thing around the game, where it's just like, why aren't there modern save points? And it's, it's just, just like, funny to read that, knowing like the roguelikes are a thing now. Yeah, exactly. But it's just like you were going to start from the very beginning. Um, and it wasn't seen. I think we were still at that point where the old technology of like having passwords and stuff like that was pretty much already dead and seen as old school. And now we were expected to save everywhere and not have save points and stuff like that. And this thing was kind of like, nah, it's going to be old school. And you just start from the beginning every time if you want yeah. to, um, which was cool. Uh, GamePro gave it a perfect score. And in his review, Pong Sifu said, quote, Capcom has taken these tried and true formulas, re- referring, of course, to beat-em-ups, and catapulted them headfirst into the 21st century by infusing its creation with spell-bindingly gorgeous art direction, relentlessly manic energy, and unique gameplay mechanics, effectively redefining the 2D side-scroller and sculpting it into a lean, mean, beautiful machine, end quote. So I think this is kind of what we were saying earlier, right? That it's just, it's 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 a beat-em-up, but it also has all of these other aspects of like platforming and just the speed of it. And when you pair it with the, with the art of it, it kind of like took platform, like beat-em-ups and made them something new. Um, 
which kind of sucks that we didn't see more of them in this generation. Yeah. Well, especially like this is in a generation where they were starting to go away because we had seen a lot of platformers starting to go to 3D. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Play Magazine, which is my other favorite magazine, also gave it a perfect score. And in the issue that I have here in my bookcase, I pulled it out and <laughs> they devoted six entire pages and the cover to this game. Um, and the review just gushes about the game, calling the game genius and talking about how it even stirs the soul when you're playing, which to me, it didn't quite reach that height, <laughs> but yeah, I, I can see it. I think um, I can picture that cover in my mind. Yeah, I, I probably had it like in my room displayed somewhere prominently. <laughs> um, the low reviews came from Yahoo, who gave it an 80, talking about the mind-blowing graphics, but some flaws that stifle the fun, mainly the difficulty. Edge Magazine um, also gave it an 80, saying the game will test your patience. Um, and throughout all the bad reviews, that seemed to be the biggest complaint, just the difficulty of it. Which again, being a person that tends to suck at video games, <laughs> I can totally understand. Yeah. Um, in terms of Game of the Year type awards, Beautiful Joe got a bunch. It got a Game Innovation Spotlight at the 2004 Game Developers Choice Award and got nominated for a bunch of Game of the Year awards, even winning GameCube Game of the Year on IGN ahead of The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, um, which is surprising for me, at least. I don't necessarily agree. Um, do you think Beautiful Joe was a better GameCube game than Wind Waker? No, not at all. Ma yeah, I think it's yeah. just everybody's uh, apprehension towards Zelda, as they refer to it, that they just, they couldn't stop beautiful Joe cell shading cool. And they were like, why couldn't Zelda do that? <laughs> That's the thing that I was going to bring up. It's just like, if your biggest complaint is that uh, Wind Waker is cell shaded, so is beautiful Joe. Yeah. Why are you the same thing? But um, I think even back then I wouldn't have picked, uh, I wouldn't have picked this as a better GameCube game than than Wind Waker. They're just, I mean, they're so different, but just if you had to pick one for the year, I wouldn't have picked Beautiful Joe as much as I liked it. Um, and well, and even crazier, Gamer Magazine, GMR, also named it overall game of the year in 2003. So ahead of like, I think Knights of the Old Republic came out in 2003 also. Um, so yeah, I got, got a bunch of awards. GameSpot readers also named it the reader's choice game of the year for the GameCube ahead of Wind Waker. So I think it's a lot of those, um, like like you said, the backlash to Wind Waker more so than, I mean, Beautiful Joe is cool, but it's not, yeah. it's not that good. <laughs> no, it's a great game. I wouldn't even say it's better than like Beyond Good and Evil, which I think came out in the same year. Yeah, it did. Let's see. I think 2003 was also a really good year for games. Yeah, see, Beyond Good and Evil came out that year. Prince of Persia good came out that year. Specifically, because that, was that Eternal Darkness too? Yeah. Dang. Mario Kart Double Dash came out in 2003. See, everybody had just sold uh, it down. Everybody sold too soon on the, the GameCube. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, which other just one? need to wait till this year. Silent Hill 3 came out in 2003. Um, SSX 3. Lord of the Rings, the, uh, the Return of the King, which was a, also that like was a, a good, good beat em up. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of good games in 2003, but I mean, Beautiful Joe is good, but come on, Wind Waker's right there. Yeah, totally. Um, now onto the sales. Beautiful Joe did not sell well. I think this may be the worst selling game we've spoken about. Maybe Rez sold a little worse. It's gotta uh, be Rez. It's only like <laughs> us and... and for other people, they played Rez. <laughs> but Beautiful Joe only sold 275,000 copies worldwide for the GameCube. Which That's is crazy. It's it's a tiny amount. Seeing like, that, because I read that they sold through all their pre-orders in Japan. Uh -huh. no, they, th they sold through all their pre-orders in North America, and the game wasn't available for like a week in Japan. Yeah, because they I think they pressed so little, like very that few of them. They're like, we're not going to press a bunch of this <laughs> stupid art project. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was shocked at how little it sold. Um, so because it didn't sell well on the GameCube, Capcom decided to port it to the PS2 to try and sell more games. But the PS2 only ended up selling 46,000 copies of the Dang. game. Um, so it was just shockingly low sales. And... Yeah, I mean, how, that wasn't enough to stop Capcom from turning Beautiful Joe into a franchise, though, because we got Beautiful Joe 2 after That's this. That's surprising. <laughs> so maybe this is a case of Capcom, like, 
liking the character and said, screw it, we'll just give it another shot. But yeah, only 275,000 copies worldwide is shockingly low to me, especially because this game had a lot of hype behind it. Yeah. Uh, like it was it was on magazine features. It was all over the forums. There was Maybe commercials they just for it. really liked my dude, but he was just so weird for him. And they were like, oh, we're not going to commit to <laughs> maybe yeah maybe again they put him on this staff focus project because they clearly like maybe believed in him and thought um here like if we get if we do if you do this maybe you'll get it out of your system and then you'll be able to make resident evil 4 or something like that yeah and in uh, the game too it's funny uh captain blue said the world's gonna be saved two more times so even yeah. he was like Putting that in, no, I'm going to make two more games here. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, at the very end, that's what he says. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I'm not sure. I got to go back and, and look at the res figures. But I think this is definitely in the yeah, top two for sure. least selling games that we got. And we both got it at launch. So um, <laughs> forever the iconoclast, right? We both had res. <laughs> um Getting into the behind the scenes or trivia. Like I said, like I alluded to before, this was a franchise. There were beautiful Joe's there was a beautiful Joe sequel, both on the GameCube and PS2. Um, there was a release on the PSP of Beautiful Joe and on the Nintendo DS. And there was also an anime series and a manga series released based on Beautiful Joe. Um, and sadly, Kamiya had nothing to do with the sequel with Beautiful Joe 2. So and they, they did it again to him. He what started a franchise and then they took it away from him. Um, and he was also, I couldn't find any direct quotes about it, but I'm sure he was also pretty butthurt about that. Maybe it's because he did that. They're like, oh, you're going to make two more games, huh? Well, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to make two more games. <laughs> he did end up working on Okami though. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, takes on the cell shaded style. Um, but yeah, he had he he had nothing to do with it. Um, another little piece of trivia is that each of the bosses of the game are supposedly based on Capcom executives, uh, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And I wish I knew more of Capcom executives so I could tell you which one is which. But um, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. There's another bit that the original working title for Beautiful Joe was Red Hot Man, but the name was changed because of copyright conflicts with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and I think I think they they picked the right name because Red Hot Man doesn't sound as cool as Beautiful Joe, even though beautiful is a weird uh, word. But yeah, that's pretty much all I could find in terms of like little trivia tidbits. Did you find anything, Joe? Um, no, I, I just comp I did not know because I didn't know him at the time that D. Bradley Baker was the voice of Beautiful Joe, who hmm. is the voice of Perry the Plat. Tons of voices, I'm sure. If you don't know the voice of the Platypus, every single clone in Clone Wars, he's awesome. Cool. What else? Every oh yeah, well I guess they're all the same clone. Yeah, I'm looking at his <laughs> so credits also Jango now. And yeah, he's he's done a ton of stuff. Yeah, he's done. He's even worked on Invader Zim, the favorite uh, cartoon of people yes. from this era. <laughs> ben Ten. Oh okay. Yeah, all the Clone Wars, Captain Rex. So wow. Yeah. I did not know he was beautiful Joe's voice yeah. also. So that's cool. Um. So, yeah, I mean, Beautiful Joe was a, a really important game for the GameCube. Uh, it was going to be one of its saviors. It ended up falling <laughs> short, clearly, by only selling 275,000 copies. But um, it's still a great game. So let's get into our questions. And the first question is, what is your favorite moment or thing about this game? Uh, why don't you start us off, Joe? What's your favorite thing about this game? Uh, the art style is my favorite thing. I mean, it's like playing a comic book. And I read that mm. that was what they were trying to like go for. Like that's the aesthetic that they were uh, that they were looking at. I like comic books, uh, so I definitely think they achieved their goal. And so because of that, my favorite moment is actually the intro. Like even that <laughs> Capcom comes in and everything, and then I think turns into Beautiful Joe in the middle of it. Yeah. And then like there's a little quick intro where it it's like an old movie. Uh, and they're telling you kind of the stakes real quick and you see just the game in action yeah. it's it's just awesome the first moment you see it and to see it deliver like with all the hype that was behind it and yeah you see it all vibrant on that play magazine spread and you want to <laughs> see it but then once you actually see it play it's like oh shit and there's other cell shaded games but nothing ever looked this cool i think mm. yeah i i i think the art style was was great 
because like you said, nothing looked like it, even though like Wind Waker was cell shaded, but it was, this was a different type of cell shaded. It kind of looked like comic books or like storyboards or something like that. Like it just had a very distinct art style that was really cool and kind of tongue in cheek, but earnest. It was, it was, it's just weird to describe. I, if you have never seen Beautiful Joe, just Google it right now and look at the screenshots because it's really cool. But for me, to, com- to compare them, Wind is more like, uh, pastel and relaxing mm. boy this one is like vibrant and in your face yeah this one was like painted with markers and yeah the other one was painted with like watercolors or something <laughs> yeah 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 um my favorite thing about it though is just the originality behind it um so like he this was completely new there was no like they designed every character every world every stage i had never played a game that had like an obsession with like those Ultraman era characters or anything like that. So this was very cool to see references to that. It's super Japanese, yeah. Um, but it still kind of works because nerd nerdy stuff is kind of universal in that sense. Um, and I, I in in that Play magazine, there's like an interview at the end when they they're interviewing Kamiya, and he talks about how it's up to gamers to embrace original games. And not just stick with the safe choice which game studios were sticking with. Um, so you kind of you get the idea that he's still kind of butthurt about like buy this instead of Devil May Cry Two is kind of what he's saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that's the one thing that I that I really enjoyed about this and the Capcom Five, with the exception of Resident Evil Four, that it was a bet on originality on new franchises on new creative endeavors on new whatever and and this game really was like you're betting on this guy that is weird but you think it'll be cool and you get rewarded if you go for it so yeah i think that was my favorite thing about it just how it was totally brand new and you're seeing something totally brand new right when video game companies were trying or starting to realize that it was too expensive to necessarily go original. That it's just like, if you have a franchise, milk it for all it's worth. I mean, <laughs> this is when this was born. Um, and this game was kind of like, nah, let's, let's do something different. And that's what I like the most about it. Um, but close second is the flow aspect of it, which is a, one of my favorite characteristics of any video game is if it, if the, if the gameplay allows for you to achieve that state where you're like kind of just feeling the game more so than like responding to it like this game does it ikaruga does it crazy taxi does it right that is one of my favorite moments in video games where you can just kind of feel yourself reacting and and building something like these intricate combo chains where you're zooming in and going at max speed and then zooming out and all this good stuff um that was really, really cool in this game and really rewarding too, because it's, if you don't do it like that, it's extra hard. So me, I would fail and then I would like <laughs> achieve the flow at some point later. And you're like, oh, that thing that was so hard before, I just beat it like nothing. Uh. So it allowed for those um, really rewarding moments. But yeah, this is just a really cool game and just a really rewarding game if you play it as it's supposed to be played i guess um second question what is the worst part of this game and i'll take it first because i keep alluding to it it was hard (laughs) it was really hard for me it took me forever to beat this game and it was just i would remember going online and people being like i mean the only thing is that the game is too short and I was just like, I've been playing this game for eight hours and I'm nowhere near beating it. <laughs> I don't think I even beat it, to be completely honest with you. There was some stuff in that where I was like, huh, oh, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, it took me forever. And it was just, um, it, it, I, I had to like walk away from it a couple of times. <laughs> but like you said, it wasn't one of those things where you would get frustrated necessarily at the game. You would be frustrated just because of your shortcomings, right? Um, but that's the worst thing for me easily, just that it was super, super hard for me. Yeah. What about yeah, you, Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I agree with you that that's the, the hardest part. I mean, it wasn't obviously to me at the time because I, I figured I'd just video games. And so <laughs> um, the other thing that I would say is the worst thing is just the repetition. Mm. Uh, so watching the playthrough, it's almost like watching that Wind Waker um, Triforce quest. Because it's just like the same thing over and over again. I'm like, yeah, I love it. But how many times can you 
Enchin a go go over and over again <laughs> before like before the dialogue in the short just starts to get kind of grating. So because it, it didn't affect me, it's not my about it, but I definitely think it is a, a, a shortcoming of the game that they there's not more to the audio aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah, not not audio only, but like just the there's so many times too where he's in the middle of battles and he'll just do that uh, double kick thing. Yeah, and then it just like the, the playthrough that I'm watching, the game's the level's just over at that point. I'm like, okay, like <laughs> did I just really suck at this game or, or what the hell? <laughs> I mean, it could be that, but I do. There are some aspects of it that are dependent, like just go for it or whatever. Every yeah, time yeah, that, every time, every time that characters show up. And I don't know if that was hiding maybe the loading behind it or something like that. Uh, um, because that is one thing also that the game kind of never stops. As long as you keep pushing forward, it's always going to be there. So maybe the, that queue was there to like load up characters or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think I can agree with you that that's also another thing that it can get repetitive or at least maybe watching it is it gets more repetitive than playing it. Because when you play, you have those feelings, but... Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wouldn't, I, I'm going to try and play it again after this just to see how much <laughs> worse I am at it now than I've, that I've gotten older and slower. But we'll so. see. Um, third question How did the game age? What parts of it aged the best or the worst aside from the graphics? And uh, what do you think, Joe? I mean, it's not like other ones in the, in the genre, but I think that something that aged bad is it. I don't want to say it's a problematic game. Definitely like the damsel in distress kind of thing, but <laughs> like that's kind of the rub because it's meta that way. And yeah. Sylvia is like, it's a, like that's it's a movie kind of thing where it's supposed to be that way. But also there's like an adult mode in it. So yeah. it kind of seemed like it was trying to be too edgy. And mm. I think that just kind of aged like it ages it into this into this uh, era that we were talking about. I think even from Wind Waker where it's like the attitude era, everything has to mm. be like cool. Um yeah, it, it, like I don't feel like it needed that, and it's a worse game for that being part mm. of it. Um, but what aged well, I think we we talked about it again with with Zelda, and um, that cell shading just makes it stand the test of time a little better. Yeah, I I agree. I think the whole visual language of it is great, like even the blurring effects or the speed effects and everything yeah. like that, and even the difficulty has aged well because, like you said, roguelikes are super popular <laughs> now, like Hades. I'm com- continuously demolished by it and there yeah. i and, and i'm going back to it um like I, I kind of like pointing on that the only thing that didn't age well to me was the story um but i don't understand why capcom hasn't remastered this game yet totally it's all about fluid emotion and it would look so great on a switch in widescreen mode um come on capcom namco redid katamari damacy and you can do it too. Just do it with beautiful Joe. You can yeah, do just it two in one. So uh, I read that somewhere on the PS2 they made the kids version harder. There was a, <laughs> a, a, a or no, they made the kids version easier. There's an interview that I was reading uh, where the interviewer asked him like, "Hey, you know that even on kids mode, even on kids version, really." Hard. And the dude just laughed at him. <laughs> uh, so I read on PS2, they actually made it easier. What if they actually make it harder and then start advertising it as a roguelike? There you go. Yeah. Or like make it the extreme mode or whatever. There you go. Whatever, whatever would sell. Because I think even I like the difficulty aged really well. The visual language aged really well. And I want to see it. Just give me the same game just running even the same engine just running on a better piece of hardware. And I yeah. bet you it's going to look great um, because even then you kind of feel like it was pushing it. Um, yeah. It'll be one of those things where it'll even surprise them. <laughs> They'll just run it and be like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I kind of agree with you too on the whole damsel in distress thing. Um, because even like Mario nowadays is shifting away from that, right? Yeah. Which is the OG white knight guy. Um, but yeah, I'm. It, it could be one of those things where it, it was just, trying at the time to be edgy and it now is just in bad taste and um, not that the game was again like it's kind of the the whole act of like the, this is like hollywood land like that's mm. what it has to be so i i can i i do get where that's coming from but yeah i don't know it just didn't need to be there i don't think <laughs> yeah but capcom i know you're listening to this um <laughs> capcom as a whole they just play on the loudspeakers <laughs> just release the game on switch come on get it together um and the fourth question, what is the legacy of this game in gaming and culture at large? I'm going to take this one first. 
Maybe Devil May Cry is the first one of the types. Maybe, but I think Beautiful Joe birthed the character action combo genre, like the subgenre of action games where they are focused on a character and that are like action combo oriented. You know, like the Dark Souls, Sekiro um, type games, they rest on the shoulders of Beautiful Joe and Devil May Cry. Like maybe yeah. Devil May Cry is a big one, but I really think Beautiful Joe kind of took the ideas of Devil May Cry and refined them a little bit more. I mean, that even branches out to further games too like i'm playing the insomniac spider-man right now and that mm. kind of combo action is it's all is very present in it and it's fighting as well yeah like i think after these after these two um it's just like that's the way you do combat in in action games just like chain links and 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 using the environment and using the enemies as projectiles and stuff like that right uh I think maybe Devil May Cry was the first one, but Beautiful Joe, I think, refined it to the point where they saw more possibilities with it, namely with the fact that you could turn around projectiles or use enemies <sighs> as projectiles. Um, and it's, you know, combo, stylized action, and quick reactions, improvisation, all of that. That's the combat style that, like, most AAA action combo games use now. And I think that's the legacy of Beautiful Joe. Um and we even see it in 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 Kamiya's follow-up game, which is Bayonetta. Like Bayonetta is maybe the pinnacle of that free flow, stylized action, quick reaction, improvisation type games, and it's because it's built on Beautiful Joe, right? Um, so that that's what I think the legacy of it is. It's just that that whole combat um, aspect to it, like branching out into other games. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think there's. From it too, because there's so much there. Like one of them for sure is just that there's a market for difficult games. Like this is the first one that a lot of those <laughs> these hardcore gamers cut their teeth on, and mm. so it kind of put that out there. I think, um, but also a lot of one of the things that it does that a lot of games did. I think right after this, and then some of them still. Um, but the mechanic or like implementation of using 3D spaces, mm. um, it's like a level thing where like i'm thinking of games like echo chrome or monument value valley right. where you like look at the the level in a different aspect and then now it it changes the way you're at it mm. um beautiful joe does that a lot and you'll see where he he's like running and then he'll turn perpendicular and then the camera will switch to you and then now all of a sudden like that's part and so like there's a lot yeah. of that kind of camera shifting that i see in a lot of later games or at least the puzzle games that i like to play later mm. they I, I went back and looked Came out after this game so i definitely think this influenced them mm -hmm. um but also the 2d platformers can still work <laughs> i think is a big legacy of this game because how many indie games are still just 2d platformers yeah. but they're they're so good and stylized that it doesn't matter right yeah i think that's the darling of indie games right it's just the the 2d <sighs> platformers still I think what's the last one? Owl Kid or what's it called? Owl, Owl something? I don't remember it. But yeah, there's like an, it, I think you're right that this kind of showed that there's still life in the 2D platformer. And as, as long as you like introduce some interesting aspect to it, some fluidity of motion, um, I think that's the big legacy of Beautiful Joe too, is that a game that feels good to move in, well, like that's enough to carry the difficulty sometimes. Like, if you like the combos felt so good in this game that it made me chase them um right it's just yeah. and that's what in turn what made the game easier so it kind of like the feeling of the game is what guides you to to keep playing despite the difficulty um and i know there's someone gonna be out there upset probably about me drawing a line from this to dark souls but it's there just look closely yeah totally <laughs> um fifth question is this the peak of any studios, of any generation, of any creator, of any console? Is this the peak of anything? What do you think, Joe? Um, it's hard to say because, especially with all the praise that it got, which like uh, Wind Waker's right there. I, I definitely <laughs> want to say, though, to, for me, it just to not belabor the point, it's peak cell shading. Um, <laughs> like, Jet Grind was there, but it wasn't yeah. as clean. It looks worse. Like, they were going for different things. And, like, even Zelda is really cool, but it's not... It doesn't look as good as this, I don't think. Mm. This shows the peak of it, and I think like um, Borderlands and other games that continue to do cell shading, like they must have been, they must all go and have these like in their in their meetings and stuff when they're talking about it. 
I got a couple of peaks, maybe. And one of them, well, the, both of them are going to be a little bit of a stretch, but just bear with me. <laughs> so I think this is the peak Capcom 5 video game. Now, I know Resident Evil 4 is also a Capcom 5 game. Yeah. But, 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 but Resident Evil 4 came out like two years later, right? Um, This is the peak of what the Capcom 5 represented, which is the peak of GameCube might survive after all. The GameCube might come back with a fighting chance. The GameCube could surprise people still. This is the peak of that. That's what and I can say. This is much more a GameCube game than Resident Evil 4. I see where you're coming from that. Yeah, like this was the great pink hope of the GameCube. This was going to bring people to the GameCube. Exactly. Where Resident Evil 4 just happened to be an exclusive exactly. for the GameCube. Yeah. yeah, like this is going to make people want a GameCube so bad that they're yeah. going to go out and get it. And you this is this the with first Wind one. Waker and yeah. other fun games. I totally get you. Yeah, yeah. It's like this This game represented that hope for all us GameCube fanboys <laughs> that was like, yes, the GameCube will come back. Uh, it's gonna it's it's a tsunami after after this just you wait the ps2 is dead and everyone's gonna come over here they will uh, finally get real link and you'll see you'll <laughs> yeah, see yeah yeah exactly i that's like i that's what i think this is like the peak of the hope for the gamecube fanboy um and the second one is this is the peak misspelling of beautiful um <laughs> and the other one i can think of is the movie beautiful uh, which is the 2010 Javier Bardem movie. It's a Spanish movie. And they spell it B-I-U-T-I-F-U-L. No, so it's, that one. Yeah, see, beautiful is not as cool as beautiful. Uh, so beautiful, Joe, is the peak of beautiful misspellings. <laughs> I'm not going to give you that <laughs> If you haven't seen Beautiful... It's about a guy, a single dad who has cancer. So it's very depressing. <laughs> I don't recommend you watch it. Um, or at least have beautiful Joe around to play yeah. it afterwards. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, I think this is one of the things that I love the most about Beautiful Joe, or at least that it paints my memory in a certain way, that it was just this hope for the GameCube. Back then, when at a time when like video game console allegiance has meant so much, Beautiful Joe was like a flag of hope that everything was going to be okay for the GameCube. I never uh, associated that, but I wonder if that's why it's just me and you talking about this game <laughs> and we couldn't get anybody else to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I legitimately had, um, back in the forum days, I had Beautiful Joe as my avatar for a while. <laughs> and I had a Beautiful Joe banner made and stuff like that. So it's just like, it, it was a big deal. It was a big um, moment of hope for the console fanboys and uh sadly it, it was a great game but sadly it didn't turn the tide yeah. um so the sixth and the last question how would this game work or look like in 2021 what do you think joe uh, i think we see it all the time like i talked about with the uh, indie devs like hades and bastion i know they're the same team but like mm. meat boy roguelikes like i think all of those just stem from this just weird games that are weird for fun and they have their art styles and new mechanics or something like that that just keep you bring keep bringing you back and mm. it's just more an experience it like games playing games like these remind me more of like where you're like the game yeah the game you've mentioned it a few times the game's kind of teaching you how to play it mm. and so like you do kind of start getting into a flow so i think that's we we are seeing it all the time it's just uh different Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that there's a lot of beautiful Joe in like the new indie games, especially the really hard ones are the ones that like reward you for playing it correctly. Um, for me, I think the easy answer to this is Bayonetta because Bayonetta is by Kamiya. It has the same type of combat. It's super weird in that the girl's hair is her armor and weapons and stuff like that. So it's weird. It's strange, but um, I think one aspect that I would like to see is so Kamiya based this on like his obsession with those um, Japanese shows that were like Ultraman or whatever. So it would be really cool to see like an action type side scrolling beat em up 
based on a movie genre or a TV show genre from our childhood, which would be like the family sitcom. So I think it would be really cool to have like a family matters beat em up. Based. <laughs> we also had like Power Rangers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but Power Rangers is a direct descendant of this. They even have the Mega Sword and everything. Yeah, yeah. I think it was something that is perfectly of the era. So it'll be like a family matters beat em up um, that you you are you're fighting Steve Urkel and you're trying to get back. <laughs> Laura so Rimmer. isn't that really the Simpsons arcade game? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think, I think like you said, beautiful Joe is a very modern game. Um, just because of its nature of its art style of its strong visual language and like its difficulty. And it has very refined mechanics. I think the only way that it could improve is if it's just bigger. I mean, beautiful Joe is only seven levels. Um, they were kind of limited by their four, three aspect ratio and their processing power. Um, but the cool thing about it was that it was always in motion, which is something that like the really good modern games do still beautiful Joe was doing back then. So yeah, I think beautiful Joe in 2021 is just kind of like an evolution of what's already there. I don't think it works open world. I don't think you need microtransactions. I don't think you need VR VR for this game. (laughs) I think it's, it was modern enough as it is where it would work perfectly as like an indie game right now. And I'm still surprised that Capcom has not re-released it on the Switch because I would gladly pay up to $19.99 US American dollars <laughs> for a remake of Beautiful Joe. Which is more than you suggested for an Echo remake. So Yeah, that is true. I mean, I paid I paid $14.99 for the Katamari <laughs> Damacy remake. I just know that I'm pretty sure Capcom and Nintendo still have some uh, bad blood after the Capcom 5 ended up going on the PS2. Um, but come on, guys! It's been it. twenty years. Yeah, get over it. <laughs> Mega Man is <laughs> in Smash Bros. Beautiful yeah, Joe should be in it too. Say we need new Mega Man, so we need the world needs this stuff right now. This is the healing in unity. <laughs> but yeah, I think this game works like as it is, just remade. I don't, I don't think it benefits from adding anything new to it. But yeah, I had a quote from uh, from Anaba here. Mm. They were asked him about beautiful joe and he was saying that it's very possible for more 2d games to come out and it'll be all depend on creative and the game creators uh, how creative the game creators can be with them if you can make a game like beautiful joe that's stylistic and fun sure there can be a lot of duty games out there out there very few people are able to implement that kind of style and fun to make it seem original which is perfect for this and then yeah. all those other like games that we've been talking about as descendants of them yeah, yeah, absolutely. Only 275,000 people bought this game. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you haven't played it, play it. It's it's really fun. It's really cool and you and you'll see just how modern it was and it was released in 2003, which is really cool. I think we can get together all those other 275,000 people and we'll sign a petition to not say that it was released before and Capcom can just announce it as a new game. <laughs> I mean, Capcom could pretty much release it as as a new game and I'm sure a substantial amount of those people have already died. <laughs> I don't mean to be dark. <laughs> we'll get people that haven't died so far. We'll just uh, agree say anything capcom how about you just give us this game yeah there you go um so yeah that's that's it for beautiful joe um again it's a really special really cool really unique and original game that was this great moment of hope for the gamecube that ended up kind of not becoming that at all barely registering on on many people's radar but ultimately a really good game and a game that that showed what's possible in the action genre that a lot of games are still doing in the same way to this day. Um, So thanks, Joe, for talking to me about this game. And thank you for listening. If you like this episode, share it with a friend, leave us a review. Um, And yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Relevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.